Welcome to CarePod, a safe place to educate, inspire, and renew the caregiver. Listen in with our host, Dr. Kipley Bell, as she interviews different experts along the caregiving journey. Karen Grant is a native of Burlington, New Jersey. She was blessed to be raised by Christian parents who were nurturing and loved their children deeply. When her father became ill, it was very challenging for her and her family. However, it was her honor to join with her siblings in caring for him until the Lord called him home. Heartbroken from the loss of her father, Karen was grateful to still have her mother in her life. Then, just about six months later, her mother passed away suddenly. Join me in this special CarePod episode as we unpack this crucial time in Karen's life as she shares losing both parents in such a short length of time and how the heartbreaking experience has revealed lessons learned both for herself and her family. Her story will surely provide lessons for all of us along this caregiving journey. So I am here with a woman that I am literally in awe of. I'm in awe of her spirit, of her strength, her tenacity, always been graceful. My college roomie, Karen Grant. So thank you for joining us uh, in the care pod today. I'm just so honored for you at this particular time to just share your story. Karen has recently endured a loss of both of her parents. And so to be so fresh off of that painful time, continuing grieving time to take the time to sit with me, I, I definitely appreciate it. And, and just thank you for being here to share your story with us today. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> so tell us, you know, I don't know where to begin. First of all, we have a lot in common because I just want to just, I, I'm going to let you speak and kind of chime in in terms of, you know, taking me to the journey of dad's death and then subsequently mom, what happened, whatever you're comfortable in sharing and then kind of go from there. Yeah. So it, the loss actually began the February before my father passed away in June, 2022. But in February, 2022, my favorite auntie, she was like a mother to me. My mother's sister, my aunt Ada passed away. She always kept my brother and I when my, you know, my sisters were in high school when we were little. So they'd always take us to Aunt Ada and she was like a second mom to us. And so to lose my Aunt Ada and to already know that my dad was having some issues in the background, I, I just didn't know that the journey was going to spin out the way that he did, that it did. But one thing that I know for sure is that God is in control. My faith is strong. I'm from a family of faith. He's in control. I trust him. Even when I don't understand it, there are some days where I feel like I'm down to my last, you know, thread. <laughs> but I read something today that said, even though when you feel like you're down, it's like your last thread, make sure it's the hem of his garment. And that's keeping me. So yeah, I lost my Aunt Ada in February. Prior to that, she called me one day. She told me that her cancer was back and that she just wanted, she wasn't doing chemo or anything. And she was just going to want me to just walk the rest of the journey out with her. My favorite auntie. What could I say? But yes. Wow. What type of cancer? A lymphoma. Okay. And mm -mm -mm. so I did. Mm -hmm. And um, I watched her with such grace. You know, she was a very much a prayer warrior. I learned so many lessons of faith just with it being the two of us. Uh, before she really let uh, most of our family know. It was hard. Some days I'd have to see my mom and not say anything because my aunt asked me to walk with her, you know, in confidentiality, and, and, um, and, and I did. Wow. Yeah. At the same time, my dad's become very uh, drawn into himself, you know, not really coming out of the house. It appeared that it was COVID. You know, he was very COVID conscious. And it seemed like maybe a little paranoid about some of the things that could happen, like all of us getting COVID at one time and just all of us just leaving the earth. You know what I mean? Like, it just seemed like dad, he, he was paranoid. Uh, he had a little bit more anxiety. I'll say that 
than the rest of us did about what could happen. But what we didn't know is that there were little subtle hints that he wasn't well physically. And, you know, we do things like, I remember when we had to call the police to do a wellness check because he wouldn't come to the door, he wouldn't answer the phone. And um, the police officer, I remember come one day we did the wellness check, he came to the door after talking with my dad and said, you know, and my sisters, we're all standing out at the door, like with our work clothes on. And he's like, your dad said he's fine, but this is, this is a little too much. So my dad ended up in February after my sister went over there and refused to leave the driveway. I went over there, pulled the daddy's girl, everything we could to get him to come to the door. He came to the door. He said, I'm okay. Made me a couple of promises, but that night, he said, okay, he called me, I'll go to the emergency room tomorrow. He drove himself. We met him there. I saw, when the, the minute I saw him, I knew he was very, very, very ill. And um, we took him in through the ER. They took him in right away. Um, he stayed there for a long time. It turns out my dad had uh, cancer. And, um, you know. Let me interrupt you there. So he, did he... Did he know he had cancer and just didn't disclose that to you all? Well, when he called, when I talked to him the night before, he told me some things, some symptoms that he had. And he, then he asked me, do you think I have cancer? And I said, daddy, I don't know. I don't know. But that's all the more reason why you have to go and seek medical attention. And so um, we, we went and yeah. And then, so then he was diagnosed or whatever, he was positive. He said to me, do you think people can survive, you know, this kind of cancer? And I said, I, I believe that, yes, people have survived every kind of cancer, but we are going to trust God for your journey. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. He came home. Um, he started chemo almost right away. But after the second cycle, he said to us, you know what, you guys I'm not doing this. This isn't, I'm not going to do this. And um, I had to respect my dad's with his choices, just like I had to respect and accept my aunt's choices. Not to, she didn't have chemo at all. And my dad only had the two cycles. I had to accept what they wanted, encourage them still, love them, support them, trust God while walking alongside them. It's one of the hardest journeys that I've been on in my entire life, three times over. Mm -hmm. Grief um, or caregiving? The caregiving, the, the grief, mm -hmm. the caregiving and the grief. Mm -hmm. And so, um, what would you, you know, say that caregiving was, what about caregiving was so challenging? Well, because, you know, the person that you're caring for, my dad, for instance, he still very much had a right to make decisions for himself. He was able to make decisions for himself. Did I want him to continue with the chemotherapy? Yeah, I wanted to save my dad. I wanted my dad to be here for as long as he possibly could. But my dad was saying, listen, I'm going to fight the good fight, but we're not doing it this way. And um, I had to be accepting of that and be his daughter and love him like he loved me and walk alongside him. My wow. sister, you know, the journey's a little different for her. She had a childhood of blood cancer also when she was in high school. And um, she recollects that she remembers how my father took care of her. And so she was the lead person who kind of interacted with doctors and handled all the medical things and uh, all of that. So it's like the two of them came full circle mm -mm -mm. Um, because she ended up caring, you know, for my dad. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it really brings up these issues of, you know, autonomy and the right to your own medical decision making and really you know, when they say to plan that thing out ahead of time, and even when doing so, uh, sitting with families myself that, you know, that patient made a decision that wife or son or daughter or grands uh, didn't, didn't necessarily agree with, but they were of sound mind to make that decision. So uh, such, such a difficult, difficult journey. And then tell me as siblings, uh, were you all on one accord um, in that? Like when you say that your sister was able to come full circle and kind of understand where your father was at the time. Absolutely, because we were raised in such a loving situation. Our parents loved us deeply. You ask anyone to tell them about their kids and they beamed. They just loved us. They were so proud of us. And so having been so well cared for, when it became apparent that they needed us, 
my dad. It was really hard because, you know, he was the strong man, supportive provider for us. And now here it is, dad needs us. Mm -hmm. I remember being in his hospital room. Uh, actually, this is once he was in hospice care. Uh, I looked down at his hands one day when he was, while well, he was asleep. He was in a pretty much a semi-conscious state most of the time there. But, uh, and his hands were huge. They were, and they look so strong still to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought these are the hands that have held my hands through every season of, of my life, good and bad. And now the Lord has given me the opportunity to hold his hand and to and to care for him. And I think with all of my siblings, we all had that in mind. Did we sometimes bump heads? Yes, because we're all strong personalities. Uh, but the, the goal, the main objective was caring for dad and making sure that his quality of life stayed high. And, um, and we got the job done by God's grace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, something that struck me considerably that you said at your mother's funeral, you know, was that you know, your parents were not together and that growing up, you never heard an adverse word out of your mother's mouth towards your father. Mm. And I, I, I really found that profound in terms of character of her, obviously, but the example that she set for you and your family and, you know, wondering did you ever feel any struggles around allegiances in caregiving? You know, there wasn't, a, I haven't segued to your mom yet, but you know, there wasn't any overlap, I, I would assume at, that, at um, that time. We knew that my mom needed our attention. You know, she was getting older, visibly, we could see that she was having some physical, you know, some movement issues and things like that. In fact, when my dad, when he as soon as he passed away, not long after, um, my siblings began to say things like, okay, so now we got to turn, we really got to turn our attention toward mom because we've been so caught up with, with dad and what he needs. And it's, you know, working and we were like in shift mode with dad, making sure we were there and we were, you know, we were yeah. just there doing it, caring for him, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think, my mom wasn't having, you know, she wasn't saying anything. There was no diagnosis or anything like that we just can look at her and see that your mom is going to need our attention now. Who knew that not even just over six months that my mom would pass away too. Um, but another uh, recollect recollection I have from when my dad was in hospice is the day that I took my mom to see my dad because he was holding on. I, we don't know why. We, said, I, I, we all had to talk with him. Daddy, it's okay. You can let go. And that in and of itself is an experience to look one of your parents in the face and tell them you're going to be okay and they can let go because you see them suffering. You see that, you know, their assignment here is, is over, basically. But mm. my mom went and I said to my sister, this is going to be it. We're going to take mom and dad's going to let go. And so we took her and that at that moment, the doctors called us into the hall and my mom stayed in the room with my dad and the doctors were telling us that, you know, he, he had hours. He's to the point now that he's hours. I mean, before it was like, he's got days, but mm -hmm. then the doctor says now she's, he's got hours. So we were out there, you know, we had to take in that information, cry, do what we had to do while we were in the hall, get it together. And when we came in, my mom was standing at my dad's bedside. And I, what I said to my siblings was, the world will never know what those two were talking about. <laughs> said, right. Because I've always said the two of them were thick as thieves. They, um, my dad, one thing that everyone found interesting was that my dad lived around the corner from us from the time I was 10 and into adulthood. So they, they co-parented, but my dad lived around the corner with a whole family, a wife, my brother, he had my brother Ernest. But he always kept a loving, supportive, watchful eye. He was not just a provider of the financial things that we needed, but the that presence of a man in our life. You know, he that's that amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, so they, they made a friendship. Wow, that that is so amazing to me because I don't, you know, we can't become such an angry, bitter people in this world. You know, um, and, and honestly, in full transparency, I don't know if, that, if that's something I could even do. 
that if I, you know what I mean? If I wasn't feeling my husband and I said, you know what, this is it, you know, I don't want to see you. I'm good. You know? So it's, it's really amazing to that love takes on different layers and, and faces. So, so they divorced when you were 10 or tell me. Um, when I was a little, maybe I might've been about eight, seven or eight. Okay. And then when I was 10, my father, he married around the time I was 10, he married. And then my brother Ernest was born about 10, 11 years older than Ernest. Got it. Okay. And how was your mom then? You know, again, my mom was much like my grandmother in the sense that there, they weren't people who complained or said like, like a lot of negative things about, especially family, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes my sister and I get the fight and, and, and my mom would always shut it down. She'd let you go, but so far and, but remind me that that's your mm-hmm. sister. And I know that that's what she said to her. Oh, that's your sister. You know? So even though there was those times when we don't like each other a whole lot, I, I'm always going to love my sister. You know, my sister, sometimes she's the one who gives me the most trouble, but let somebody mess with me and see what she does. You know what I mean? And we how about we, it? We learn to support each other and take care of each other. And so my mom, there was just no, no complaining. I'm sure she had some feelings about, you know, sometimes people expressing opinions uh, about her and her choices in life and things like that, but mm-hmm. you never hear a negative not a negative word, not about my stepmom, about my dad, my daddy, my mom was even supportive when my brother was growing up, you know, picking him up from school sometimes, taking him to his baseball practice sometimes. I mean, wow. She wasn't perfect, filled with the grace of God. Yes, that is grace. That mm-hmm. is grace. Absolutely. Yep. So now you, I mean, something you said too, I mean, to look in someone's eyes to know that you don't know if you're going to be okay, but you release them out of love to say you have fought the good fight. And I release my selfishness of wanting you here to let you go. I mean, that is tremendous. Well, and that happened prior to him entering into hospice. He went from Virtua in Mount Holly to a hospice. Prior to going, I asked the Lord to give me the grace to minister to him without any tears because I'm his baby girl and I don't want him to think for a second that I'm not going to be okay. I think the reason why he hung on that day that they said he had hours, I mean, the chaplain went home, the doctor came in and checked. She said, okay, I guess Mr. Grant is going to do this a different way. She went home, you know, it's like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. And they're, and, but they told us first thing in the, you know, in the morning. Yeah. Us just saying to him one at a time, the doctor, before she went home, she said, I'm going to suggest this. Sometimes people hang on because everyone's all around and we were all around when he moved, he made a sound. We're like, what's that? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And she said, sometimes they hang on because they know that you're here. Why don't you all say goodbye to him? Say good night to him one at a time. And then we all, one at a time, said goodnight to my dad. We'd always say, see you in the morning, dad. And honestly, I didn't know if I'd yeah. see him on this side of heaven or the next, but I know I'm going to see him in the morning. It was my, you know, it was always yeah, yeah. joy in my heart. And so that is when I had the opportunity to, you know, talk to him. I had been talking to him all week about the inheritance that he had in Christ and celebrating, um, you know, just eternal life. And the gifts, all the gifts that we have as Christians, um, and that death doesn't have to have the sting that it has for everyone, for us, because, you know, we have a hope. Yeah. And and so I asked the Lord to give me that. So I was able to minister to him that night, but it it had been the whole week that, you know, I was able, it's hard. I'm looking at my dad's mouth bleeding and his, you know, his bag is filled with blood I mean like it's just like I think about it in retrospect and I'm like how did I do that without breaking down and I'm telling you it was the goodness and the faithfulness of God it it had to be it has to be it really does yeah a chap came in at one point and this was maybe the day before my dad passed away and he came in he said is it okay for me to come out I said oh absolutely and he said tell me a little bit about your dad's um Christian experience or whatever and I'm like okay I look at my dad and I'm like okay 
And I tell him, and we're talking about eternal life and things like that. And then he says, you know, the thing that just amazes me about the born agains is, and I was like, born agains? <laughs> I'm thinking that. I look at my dad like, don't worry, dad, I got this. <laughs> so I end up, you know, telling him more about uh, this is the testimony of our faith. And yes, I am broken. This is my father. And and he is dying. Um, his physical body is dying, you know. So long story short, we get to the end. He says, can I pray? I said, absolutely. Let's pray. He ended up being a, he's a Catholic um, chaplain of Catholic faith. And so he he prayed and then he slowly goes over to the hand sanitizer. He uses it. And then he turns back at me and he says, you know what? He said, when I came in here, I thought I was coming in here for you, but I think I came in here for me. I looked at my dad again, like glory to God, glory wow. to God. And wow. because it, I thank God that I came from a situation, like I said, at my mom's service where she didn't just, she wasn't just an example of being a Christian woman. She really guided us, introduced us to Christ, was an example, and then also made sure that we knew what having a relationship with the Lord looked like and that we had to have it for ourselves and not just through her. We had to have a relationship for with the Lord for ourselves. And part of what happened with the chaplain and my dad in his final hours, really, is that my parents raised me to have enough knowledge of the Lord and the word to be able to give an account of the hope that's in me. My dad was silent. He couldn't speak. He couldn't explain the hope that was in him at that time. But because they both did their jobs and stewardship over, over our lives and trained us up in the way that we should go, when my father could not speak, I was still able to give an account. And stand in proxy. Absolutely. That's in us. So it, and, and, it, so yeah, and you, to happen. Absolutely. And you know, that you, you had said that at the funeral too, which was a, at your mother's funeral, which was so profound as well to the younger people in your family. No, you know, people get caught up in religion and religious protocol mm. and that, and really detach or misunderstand or mischaracterize what relationship is. And it I looked at you like there is nothing but relationship. Me walking this current caregiver journey myself, you know, mm. saying that the Lord doesn't give me a spirit of fear, but yeah. literally fearful every day for decades, you know, mm. walking around with a broken heart, not knowing when I'm going to get the call or when something may go south that I need to address in terms of my own caregiving journey. You know, so looking at you to say, wow, look at this, look at what faith does. Look at the, the what, what, how God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. I mean, so it just my faith, it has deepened my faith. I said, never before has eternal life been so the promise of eternal life had been so comforting and so clear to me. The fact that God keeps his promises, the fact that he promises to give us beauty for ashes. This fact that he promises to be near to the brokenhearted. Like I said at my mom's service, I people lose their minds over the kind of loss that I've experienced in a very short time. You got my Aunt Ada, my dad, my mom, and my dog, 16-year-old dog, is currently dying. So oh. what? But wow. The Lord is good. And he's a stronghold in the time of trouble. And he knows them that trust in him. That's my mom's life verse. She said it to me too many times. And I didn't. <laughs> it. But it's, it's, it's a testimony of my faith today. The Lord has wow. shown himself strong. He's promised that he'd be with me. I always knew that. But now that I'm in this season of grief, and I do consider it a season of grief, won't be mm -hmm. forever, but I am in a season of grief. He, he's showing me that he's, he's here. He's mm -hmm. present. That there's mm -hmm. purpose in this pain that I've experienced and that I am going, that I've continued to experience. And I'm not afraid. I, um, I trust him. My eyes are on him. I have every confidence that he's guiding me and, and that's how it's keeping me. So, and, and the blessing, another blessing is I get a chance to like, I am now and everywhere I go to share my story. Cause people are like, Oh my God, Karen, you, and you lost your, both your parents. And then it wasn't even, it was about six months. Yeah, had to watch my dad deteriorate again and tell him it's okay and go to glory. And then my mom dies suddenly. 
I'm, I fell asleep on the couch. My brother called me. I pick up the phone and I couldn't make out what he was saying. I know he was upset and he says something about my mom. And it turns out he went to go check on her after work and she was not breathing. I believe she had already passed away, but 911, you know, they, he called 911 and they had him to attempt CPR and things like that. And he did the best that he could, but I do believe that she had already passed away. So tell me about your mom's physicality. Take me from the journey to, was your mother at your father's funeral? She was. She was at the funeral. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I noticed days before when we were, um, she wasn't a mall person. So I had to go buy like five dresses and take them to her house. And we tried the dresses on at the house. And so I noticed she was kind of like her mobility, like not being able really to lift her arm. She had a little tremor in one of her hands, you know, just couldn't move well. My sister's like, well, mom, can you stand up straight? Why are you not standing up straight? Because she was kind of like, you know, she's like, well, I've been sitting on the couch. But really, you know, my mom, she's always um, been a little overweight. She's diabetic. She had, she was in her 70s. And then, so when she when she got COVID, it just, it wasn't a good situation for her. Her breathing was affected and it was, I thought, and we thought that she was on the mend, mm -hmm. um, but that breathing was an issue and that tremor in her hand and the swelling in her feet were all telltale signs that maybe she had some kind of congestive heart failure or something like that falling. Mm -hmm. You know, she always tried to protect us. And, you know, she just days before she passed away, she had fallen out the bed. And I talked to her, I said, mom, you took a tumble again. And she said, yeah, but the thing is, I don't, I didn't just fall. I slid down to the floor. I was like, mom, you slid down. Right. Um, she said, I slid down to the floor. And I was like, okay, but, you know, and that night that she called me, she called me hours before she passed away. Wow. My sister had bought a new bed, the adjustable bed, because so she wouldn't keep falling out. My brother had put the rail on and everything. She was telling me she had a big day on Monday because she was going to have to go to the doctor. The uh, caregivers were coming to the house um, and medical uh, staff and things. They were coming to the house, but she was going to go out on Monday. So she was like, I got a big day. And I said, well, mom, who's there with you? She said, nobody. Like, nobody's going to be here with me. I'm okay. And I said, well, mom, okay, well, where's your cell phone? And we went over all of that. And she's kind of like in one ear out the other with that. Cause she's just like, y'all leave me alone. I'm, you know, I'm mm -hmm. okay. And mm -hmm. um, I said, she only talked for a few minutes. She didn't seem like she was out of breath. And then I said, mom, I love you. Oh, and thank said, God. Yes. But she what a gift. She didn't answer me back. And she always answered me back. You know, I love you too. Y'all, Or you better. Or I love you too. And she did it. And I started to call her back, but I didn't. And that's the other lesson that um, that I learned. I beat myself up about that. Like, oh, well, when she said that nobody was there, why didn't I just say, mom, do you want me to come over? Or why didn't I just get in my car and go over there? I thought about when I said, I love you and thinking that's strange because mom usually says she loves me back. I think she was hanging up the phone when I said it. Um, but like, why didn't I call her back? You know, and the enemy started to just mess with me and the Lord released me from that. You loved your mom. I love my mom. I went out of my way to make sure her dignity stayed intact. Absolutely. I honored her by listening to her, even if she's saying something for the 10th time, you know, my mom would watch the weather report and if a little bit of rain, a little bit of ice. She's calling all of us. <laughs> to make sure we saw it. I'm like, mama, I saw it, but I got to go to work. I can't stay home for like a little bit of ice, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, just kept all of that intact, spoiled her a little. She wanted something and it wasn't going to break my back. Just do it for her or whatever. So the Lord brought all of those things to my remembrance that my mom knows that we love her and that he's going to use this and all of us for new things to spring forth. And so not to allow that to, not to beat myself to up. To burn your heart over it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I've run over in my head a million times what happened to her, what could have happened to her, you know, but I had to, I had to give it to God and let it go. And some things, even hard things, you have to, hard things like this, like really, really hard. My mom, she fell on the floor. Her face was bruised. 
her hand was swollen. I'm like, what happened? I just talked to her at five and now I'm here and she's on the undertaker's stretcher. How? Mm-mm-mm. But I learned to trust God in all things. I can't explain it. I just know that I know that I know that I know that he's God and he loves me and he's got me. That's, that's oh. what I know. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I was two pews from you, you know, standing up. And I mm-hmm. just, I continue to celebrate your strength. And I, you know, my question here too, though, is, you know, have you allowed yourself not to be strong? Yeah. You know, know it, knowing that, knowing to know, to know, to know, right? We know that God's got us. But have you allowed yourself to say, you know what, have you given yourself permission to say, I am not okay right now. This feels horrible. You know, what, what of those days would have been your coping mechanisms, et cetera. So a lot of prayer. And sometimes I reach out to uh, friends that, um, you know, I can trust to be supportive. Uh, Just today I had a moment. I noticed I'm a, I'm a teacher or I'm a, a school librarian and I'm due for a um, observation. And so the uh, the administrator that was observing me, she's going to come. Uh, but she said, you know, Karen, I pushed you to the end, to the, the as far back as I could, because I just can't imagine, you know, the loss that you've experienced. And I know the loss that I've experienced, but somehow hearing her say I was just like, oh my God, I've experienced this horrible loss. It like, it, it stirred something up in me. And I, I was so emotional for most of the day. And I had to pray and ask God, like, I know where they are, my parents. I know where they are. I know they're with you, but my heart is just broken. Can you, oh, yeah. can you help me? Can you touch me? Can you sit with me? Can you something? Because I've lost my parents, my mom and my dad gone. And sometimes I feel like, especially, you know, both of them, I still need my dad to fix things. I had a whole breakdown in the summer because a rock hit my windshield. I went home on a really hot day to take a shower. And by the time I came back out, the chip on my windshield spread. If my dad were here, I would have called him. I would say, Daddy, you're not going to believe this. A rock hit my windshield again, and he would have told me to go directly to get it replaced. I said, see, Lord, I still needed him. I still, this is just a little, you know, example of how I still needed him. But the Lord has shown himself faithful. So, yes, I have my moments. I was at school Valentine's Day, and they were making gift baskets, and someone had donated this whole tray of my mom's favorite candies. I looked at it. Now I started to just tell my coworker, you know, mom, that's my mom's favorite candy. And I buy those for her every, um, every Valentine's day. And I just had a moment right there. I mean, I don't, sometimes the grief creeps up on me. I don't know when, where, how, but thank God I have an office. So I told yes. I was I was going to my office to have an office moment. <laughs> so and I did. I went in there and I cried. And um, you know, I just let the moment happen. I just let the moment happen. I think it is not good to bottle up grief. My a good friend of mine, I consider her a mentor, she um did suggest that I go seek grief counseling. She has after the loss of her father. So I'm gonna I'm working on that now. Beautiful, beautiful. Feeling overwhelmed, to-do list growing by the minute, wish you had a helping hand? Stay tuned, the Care Cab is on its way. An errand service specifically meeting the needs of caregivers, freeing up your time so you have more time to care for those you love. Yeah, therapy and Jesus. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Listen, I said I need a good vacation. I need some therapy. I always need my Jesus. And according to my niece, I need a new bag too. So <laughs> whatever. But yeah, I do believe that therapists are a blessing. And Absolutely. I need, I need some, I want to make sure I'm on the right track. I have so many responsibilities 
And sometimes I feel like I have to be strong, strong, strong. I'm a foster mama. So I had my baby with me when I had to go see about my mom. Wow. Hanging on to me like a little marsupial. So I had to be strong a lot of times for her. I didn't want to be this weeping mama. I wanted, I needed to be, felt like I needed to be strong um, by God's grace. You know, her family healed and she went home a couple of weeks ago. And I've really been able to kind of let it out. Let the grief flow a little bit more. But before it was like the grief was on the you know, letting it flow was on a schedule. <laughs> so <laughs> after 7 30 when she went to bed, then if I needed to cry about something or whatever, but I found myself having to be strong a lot. She's a baby. I didn't want her to have the experience of her mama being so sad that I could not care for her or so filled with grief. And honestly, um, some of my friends call her my angel baby because I she came to me in August, right after my father passed away at four months old and left couple of weeks ago um you know so kind of helped me heal through my mom uh being gone too I say I I know my babies need me but her, she was different I feel like I needed her about as much as she needed me you know? how about it how about it yeah so in the in the foster <laughs> environment have you do you find that to be a grieving process too when the child moves on how are you how, do, um, how are you some, adjusting with that yeah, mm-hmm. and with her, because I had her through such sensitive times, it was a little bit difficult to say goodbye to her, especially, you know, in foster care, many times you care for the kids, but when it's time for them to go home, their parents don't want anything to do with foster care. They just want to forget that it happened. But here, you love their child, and their child has become a part of you. So, yeah, I knew saying goodbye to her was saying goodbye. I'm here if they need me again, you know, right. for the most part, I pray that she stays with her family, that mm-hmm. she's well with them, because mm-hmm. I believe that's where she belongs. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, just yeah. the way in which, um, you know, the love throws through your soul and the way in which you are, you know, using this traumatic experience in your life is healing. It's it's healing and it's an example, you know, like I find, I grieve, I find caregiving to be a grieving loss of the ways in which you knew your loved one to be. So that that's a daily, it's a daily chip away, you know, but, but there is an end and that, that is, you know, again, uh, something that I will always be so in awe of you for the way that you are, have endured and continue to carry yourself. It's amazing. It really is. God's grace, Kipley. God's grace. Yeah. Keeping me, but as you see, I will cry. And uh, I don't know if you were there at the funeral, but I let a nice big scream out because we just have a sound and I don't have it in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, also, <laughs> you know, just kind of looking back and seeing your friend, you know, being college roommates and then, you know, not being in touch for decades and then just seeing, you know, your friend morph into this whole woman <laughs> and life of what she is, is just, you yeah. know, it's a beautiful thing. So yeah. tell us what you're That's doing. Good. Otherwise, you know, what is, you know, how are you keeping your days full? You know, what do you do for fun? You know, how are you trying to find your joy again? Yeah. So again, I'm a foster mama. That's a passion of my heart. My babies bring joy to my heart. So I will continue to do that. Um, I like to write Uh, uh, one um, goal that I have, a dream that I have is that I will publish children's books. You know, I'm a librarian and lots of times I read other people's stories and I think I gotta write my own stories, you know? And so um, I would love to continue to write children's books. Um, I'm a school librarian and I'm very active in my state organization. Nice. Um, I am the conference chair, the 22 chair. I almost stepped down from that and I think they thought I was too, but my mother was extremely proud that I was going to be doing this. And so wow. by God's grace, and I want her to be proud. I'm I'm doing it. You are. She is proud. She is proud. You're making her proud. Your legacy, you know, utilizing, using your life, letting God use your life is making her proud. 
you know, and it, and it is, you know, a testimony to so many. So I have a curious question because I do think, you know, there, there is such a a unique role of the librarian. I mean, you know, we've gotten so far away. I don't want Kindle. I don't want Audible. Like I want a good old fashioned book. I wish I could pleasure read more than I do and am able to something non-medical, non whatever, you know, just a pleasure read. How is, you know, how are the, the current state of the libraries kind of rewriting that narrative and still yeah. pulling people in? So wh- what is, what is that? There's so many questions about librarianship and whether schools should have a librarian. Of course, I'm going to tell you the answer is yes. Every school should have a trained librarian. Um, but New Jersey just passed some interesting legislation where um, it's the information literacy uh, bill. And uh, that's going to make it necessary, really, for schools to have librarians, school districts to have librarians, because we're information professionals and we we teach information literacy. We're the experts in information literacy and teaching kids research how to find information, how to make sense of it, how to create something that makes it possible for them to clearly share their findings with others. You know, and that is a skill that that's going to affect every part of their lives. So as children, they're learning, as young adults, they're learning, and as adults, they'll need the skill of the skills of information literacy uh, to be successful adults, especially like, and you know, the technology is t- everywhere and taking over. I was just telling the kids today when I was in third grade, 40 years ago, I did my owl report and I got the O uh, encyclopedia off the shelf, the O book in the set off the shelf. And they're looking at me like, wait, what? Okay. So there was a set and each one of them had a letter. Yeah. Each one of them had a letter and I had the O. But, you know, people in my class, other people had O, octopus or ostrich, and then I was in trouble, you know. But we talked about using online resources and things like that. So um, the librarian is, you know, just invaluable in the schools and to kids and to the community, to our state, to the world, because we someone has to teach the information literacy. And then another part of my job is reading engagement. I'm also a reading specialist. And so helping children learn to read, but also teaching them and helping them to develop a habit of reading and a love for reading by connecting them to books that they want to read. I think that's why we're working so hard to fight some of the uh, the book banning and things like that that's happening because there's a, ch- there's a book out there for every child and a child for every book, but we don't want to limit what's, what's available there mm-hmm. because of our own, you know, hangups and beliefs and things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So did you, how do you teach the teacher who, you know, I I would imagine even our current teachers coming out have come to rely more on the technologic, you know, convenience of access to information. So how do you teach the teacher to say, you know, no, let's begin with the foundation here uh, so that you teach your students how best to, to access information. I think just a healthy balance, you know, understanding that there are physical uh, sources of information that we can use, books and um, things like that, but it's okay. The databases are okay. I I use the online encyclopedia with the kids. You know, I I told them my experience of getting the book off the shelf, but, and let them know that you possibly, I don't know where, can find (laughs) a set of encyclopedias that are up to date. Uh, but for the most part, it's okay to use online resources. Those online resources won't make um, my job obsolete because someone has to teach individuals how to use those resources and how to understand um, the information that they find and how to really um, uh, evaluate the information that they find. These are skills that an information perspe- uh, professional, a librarian or media specialist were called, will teach kids mm-hmm. and adults. So um, many media specialists train the teachers right in their school. We're considered leaders in our school. The library is like the hub. So, you know, if you nice. have the technology and we're very um, new, more, um, more of the media specialists, there's a lot more media, a lot more technology instruction that we received in library school than a more traditional librarian from the past where maybe the focus might've been a lot on literacy and things like that. 
I was writing code in library school. <laughs> and wow. I was complaining, like, why am I doing this? I just want to be a librarian. But it all makes sense now. I'm not afraid of technology. I, I get the basics. It was enough for us just to have the basics. I'm no software engineer, but I have <laughs> my nieces, but I know the basics, you know? So that's nice. And you're able to connect with students of this age and time accordingly to show them the relevance yeah. of the cracking open the book and looking for the code on the shelf versus, you know, the digital media. And just a healthy mix for everybody. Yes. 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 Anything out. We don't want to take the librarians away, but we also don't want to take the books on the shelf away. It's a balance. It's a, it's a balance. Absolutely. I love it. I love what I do. I was a special education teacher for years and years and years, for 18 years. And I was like, I was teaching so many kids who had reading difficulties. I wanted to be, become a reading specialist. And um, then in being a reading specialist, I was like, I love being here in the library. And so I, I say that my job as a librarian, everything just converged, you know? Yeah, it all came full circle. Yeah, I have my kids who have special needs, who need something different. They need someone who's flexible and just gets it. I'm able to still use my skills as a reading specialist. And I do some things on the side with a reading instruction and things like that, just because I love it. And then, of course, being a librarian and building the collection and, and sharing with the kids. They think I know every book in that library. I don't. Most I know. <laughs> but I don't. I just know how the organization works. And I, and I know lots of the different authors and the books that go with them and stuff like that. So, um, no, the Lord's blessed me. I, I enjoy my job. I enjoy my school, my staff that I work with. I, it's, a, it's a blessing. And they've been very, very supportive of me. They know, like I said, the loss that I've experienced, not my kids, but my uh, colleagues have been helpful. Yeah. I mean, your, your colleagues become your work family, you know, they, your work family becomes your family as well. So yeah, I, I, I I get that. I get that. And thank you for taking me through that because I thought, wow, you know, I remember you being in special ed as my roommate. So I'm, I was wondering how you got to the path of the librarian (laughs) uh, journey. So important. So to take retirement plan. It is because I'm I'm gonna I want to be an academic librarian at some okay. point. Okay. So um I'm here while I'm still teaching, but at some point I'd like to move on and become an academic librarian. Of course, I've um who knew I was a public speaker, but I love to present on all things related to librarianship. So Listen, I was on your bated breath when you were speaking at your mother's funeral because oh literally it was like the light of heaven was shining down on your soul. And Aww. I just want to let you know that I am forever grateful to you for just oh sitting goodness. with us and sharing this story because it's not easy. It's not it's easy. Not easy. I'll, probably, look, Kip, 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 I'll probably cry after this, but the Lord got me. Listen. <laughs> He's you know, if you remember, I cry over a Hallmark commercial, so it doesn't take me much anyway, let alone. So, yes. yeah. So yeah. take me as we, as we close out, you know, in hindsight, everything that you've been through, give me, you know, give me your top, maybe five to 10 caregiver insights in hindsight. Yeah. Well, I mentioned some of them. Definitely. Um, remain honorable honor the person that you are caring for in spite of what they say because they don't always say the things they really mean or what they do sometimes like my dad he wasn't himself for a little while there honor them anyway respect them and that would be the one thing also um like I said listen that's a way of honoring, but still listen. You know, I noticed my mom would repeat stuff a lot or whatever, and you want to listen because it honors them, but also the day is going to come, and I am living this right now, that I would feel like sometimes I would give anything to ask her one more question. Wow. Or or for her to call me and tell me that it's going to snow. And did I fill my gas up with my car with gas? So while you have the blessing of parents, you have the blessing of hearing their voice, listen even when they're repeating and you think it's annoying listen listen yeah I feel that because my mom would watch something on the news (laughs) about a tiger that got (laughs) loose from the zoo or some bear that was like 10 states away that had nothing to do with anywhere that I happened to be 
but she mm -hmm. has to tell me, you know, you know, yeah. a bear, bear has gotten loose and it's important. <laughs> <for you. laughs> yeah. Yes. And you just listen, yeah. you just listen, because one day that bear story is going to mean everything to you. Everything. Mm -hmm. I think a third thing would be to have a support system. I've been blessed to have two older sisters and two younger brothers. When my father got sick, we went into dream team mode. Um, and that's a blessing. And now even with them, my parents gone to glory, uh, we are still here to support each other. We don't all, you know, have our moment at the same time. I could call one of my sisters. I could call one of my brothers and say, I'm having a low day today, or I'm really, really missing mom today. And there's someone there who understands. Even my brother Ernest understands. He's a, it's a different mother, but his mother passed away also. So he, uh, we all understand unfortunately we all have had the same experience mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. losing both our parents so having the support system is great and then I have friends who have lo either lost their parents um or they just get it and they can encourage me I can call them and say I'm just having a weary right now. yeah yeah I'm yeah I'm on my way home today and I'm thinking Lord I just don't understand why did my mother have to fall on the floor and die that's why I want to I want to know but he knows all things. And like I said at her uh, service, I do have my moments when I cry and I'm like, God, well, why, why, why? He's still working things out after the council of his will. He's still working things together for our good and for his glory. And it's always the word that go, I go back to that brings me back or prayer. And when I can't bring myself back, when I call friends that I trust or family that I trust, they'll bring me back. Here's Remember, yeah, but God, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I guess those are my three. Listen, honor your parents, respect their dignity, maintain their dignity, you know what I mean, and have a support system. You definitely have to have a support system, and absolutely, my support system is going to be the grief counseling because I feel like, even though I don't feel like I'm out of sorts, I feel like I need to check in, and so I'm going to, you know, just good check job, in. good job. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good job. I have some folks that I can refer to you if you haven't found anybody yes, as yet, please. but yes. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Because I, yes. the sooner I start, I think the better, um, you know, again, like I'm not feeling out of sorts, but I just know I've, I've experienced a lot of loss. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? Lean not unto our own understanding, right? Yeah. So yes. Well, I love you forever. You have a friend. You. you have a friend. You have a friend. <laughs> Although we haven't spoken in 20 plus years. I know. I am here. <laughs> so thank you for being a part of the Care Pod and just sharing your story, your heart, you know, especially so fresh off of this, these collective experiences of your heart and your family, because you will certainly bless so many um, that okay. are in different stages. Absolutely. And thank you for being a part of our private Facebook group. Still, still hanging in there, uh, yes. with us because it's about our own collective health as well as caregivers. So yes. thanks again. Oh, I love you. Thanks again <laughs> for the invitation. This has been wonderful. Uh, great. Blessed. Absolutely. Great information, right from the source. For more information on how to caregive like a boss, check out impactfulcaregiving.com. Want to be a guest on the show? Contact us at carepod at impactfulcaregiving.com.